Welcome. Hello. Bienvenido. Hola. Guten Morgen. This <laughs> is You'll Die Trying. I'm Jonathan Carroll. I'm Nathan Morrison. I'm speaking over you. Sorry. Today, no, I like it. It was a, It's a natural kind of today or whatever day it is that you're actually happening to listen to this. We're going to be talking about how teamwork makes the dream work and what it means to be a team, not only with people with whom you work, but with those who enjoy the content you create. First, a word from our producer, Brent Lane in Nashville. Sing us a song. Today's podcast is brought to you by Robert Edge. Robert Edge with Kentucky Farm Bureau Insurance. He is an agent and he is big on commitment. Think about those things in life that you want to protect. More importantly, think about the people in your life whom you wish to protect. When you think of insurance, think of life insurance. Think of no other or no further than Robert Edge with Kentucky Farm Bureau. He is an insurance agent. He is big on commitment and he most certainly takes care of my things. More importantly, the people in which I love. Give Robert Edge a call at 270-929-4215. Did you play team sports? Yes. We had a shirt that said there's no I in team. That's right. Somebody then said, but there is an M and an E. Of course they did, but it didn't even. Sp- you have to turn them backwards to make them spell the me. It's not, it was just somebody trying to be witty, and they end up being dumb. Coach Polk still made them run laps for it. Good, yeah, till they puked. Good. Sorry, that's a that's a rough image. So early in the show, we probably that's should have the- saved the gastro. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, stuff for later. But anyway, so uh, team sports rather than individual sports. Like, do you remember the days when you were boxing in the Bronx? Uh, nope. Okay, me either. But I imagine a <laughs> team sport is a very different experience than an individual sport. I'll say this. I played basketball, I played baseball, and I played golf, right? I played football for a day. Oh, yeah, and then you broke your something. This was October 4th of 1986. I remember you saying you I broke I broke something. my radius and my ulna in my left arm, and it's still really jacked up and I can't I couldn't play guitar after that because I can't turn my wrist see I'm doing it I'm trying but <laughs> he is he looks like he's doing the dying spider <laughs> that's what it feels like it hurts but anyway so playing uh, baseball and basketball at which of course I was never exceptional at all um, was such a great experience because you got to be with these other guys in my case since they were you know male sports and I was a part of a team and we built this camaraderie and and friendship and 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 that that was really beautiful but then also I played golf and I was really really bad at it my first game I shot a 129 for those of you who don't know golf you really want to be kind of under 90 if you want to be competitive uh, my father-in-law shot like a I don't know 72 or something the other day is that good it's really good. He might have been in the upper 60s. It's really good. Okay. Um, I like to play in the 80s, any hotter than that, and I'd really just rather do an indoor sport. But anyway, so uh, 
I, my first game, uh, match, golf match, you play not with your team. You go and play a foursome with representatives from other schools' teams. And so I remember being out there with these other three guys whom I didn't know. Somehow they knew each other, probably because they'd grown up playing golf. This was like the first time I'd ever really been on a golf course. And um, they were really good. And it's embarrassing because you all have to take turns and everybody watches you take your shot. And uh, I just remember feeling mortified. And my team always came in last. And we always came in after dark because I was so <laughs> Did they hate you? Probably. Probably. I think... Joy does when we play golf. She's good, and I'm not find your your cohorts. If this tells you anything, I won the coach's award that year. Oh, poor boy. Yeah, that's sad. Anyway, the the radical difference between being a part of a team and being on your own as a lone ranger, it, it is it's striking and it's remarkable. And I much prefer having a team. I went to yesterday. I went playing paintball. And upon arrival, we played in Elizabethtown, Kentucky at this middle of nowhere paintball range course, whatever. And they have all these different scenarios. We pull up in the SUV, we get out and there's these two dudes. One's probably 45, maybe uh, skinny as me, shorter than I. And then there's this other guy's a little short, stocky fella. And they have head to toe geared out. We're talking... Uh, digital camo, like they look legit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, let me tell you, I've never played paintball in my life at all. I've shot airsoft guns, I've shot guns, but not paintball. And I'm like, these guys are going to light me up, right? So we get out there uh, and they were horrendous. They were awful. One dude like sits out for like two hours straight because he was so tired. Uh, They were doing a lot of playing by themselves, so to speak, like mm-hmm. we were playing teams, um, but they were kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, and they were getting lit up, like hit a lot. All the all my paint pellets. We're talking, you know, because you're going. So there's three or four right there being discharged and hitting you before they're like, I'm out. You know, so you got three people on one. Are you in a big open space? Are you kind of like behind these? There's all these barricades. There's all these barricades. You can play. Which was my favorite. And I'll get to that. You can play a city scene. You can play like woods scene. That's what I would like. A close quarters uh, scenario. I love the woods. So yeah. the the defenders. There was three on defense and five offense. Okay. Going uphill, the defense could see down of, on their perch, and there was a tower. Is it like capture the flag? Kind of like I, you touch my the, favorite game. It ever. was like I have adrenaline right now thinking about it. Gosh. Uh, so as a team of five. We were going uphill, okay, mm-hmm. and we were trying to flank the the three. But there was all these different things within the woods that you could hide behind. So mm-hmm. I was on to the right side, so the defense is left, and they were just honed in on me. And I was underneath. I I ran out of uh, CO two, and ran out of bullets. You didn't have extra on your person. Nothing. So what I was doing was raising my weapon to act like I was oh. still shooting. And then one of the guys that got out actually came over and he was on the other team. He handed me his gun. Which That's is so nice. It was really nice of him to do that. And they were because I was shooting with the opponent's weapon. Yes. At wow. his team. Wow. Anyway, I, I just think like in moments like that, especially combat, you know, you can talk about basketball as a scenario, but combat, for instance, or you can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to go and try to climb that hill by yourself, you're going to get lit up mm-hmm. every time. 
Do you know, I was, uh, I've always wanted to do paintball. I grew up playing Capture the Flag. Uh, we would play a couple of days, specific days, holidays, like Thanksgiving-ish area and, and New Year's-ish growing up. And we would meet at a friend of mine's uh, wooded acreage. And we would meet, and that would be like, oh, I'm going to go to the restroom, start in three minutes, whether I'm here or not, and I'll just join in. And so they were all like talking and getting excited and dividing up into teams and I would just, knowing me, I would run back to my car, put in, put on all like this borrowed camo clothes that I borrowed from a friend of mine. And I went around that wooded grove. It was a pretty big area. And I went ahead and snuck myself in, in a fair spot behind the starting line. But I was like buried. And then they would come out and they would say, go. And they would start, but I was already there. So no one knew my position. And I would just slowly but surely make my way always capture the flag. That is awesome. Don't you have game. to capture it and then get, get back? back to your base? They have to touch you, right? Yeah, we did like full contact tackle. That's awesome. Yeah, we only lost a few guys to <laughs> neck injuries. May God rest their souls. Yeah, but, uh, I, but again, team, right? So being a part of a, of a group of people who are uh, similarly committed, shoulder to shoulder, facing a common vision, uh, encouraged, supported, empowered all by one another. There's some beauty to that. You experienced it. I, I think even further than a game of paintball, I experienced it, you know, t- today, you and me and Megan's executive mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. meeting. Right. right. I can't do this stuff alone. Right. There are a lot of moving parts and we have to find, keep key people in their positions and roles so they can sit on their perch, however high it is, mm-hmm. to be able to help other team members make better uh, decisions so that it betters everyone, not only everyone, but a company, mm-hmm. the common good, mm-hmm. I guess. I think a team is is absolutely paramount. And it's hard to be a part of a team sometimes yeah, because you have uh, it is. this little thing called pride, maybe. Sure, competition. Competition. Mm-hmm. There really are a lot of people in uh, places of business that it's competitive, right? Like in there, oh yeah, and it's not a competing profession, but they're right. just yeah, they're oftentimes competing for their employer's attention, maybe for a promotion, maybe for a bonus. Sometimes it's friendly, sometimes not so much. But think about take it to the next level. So here we are, um, you know, kind of late June as this episode airs knocking on the door of the Tour de France, which is about to begin, right? Arguably the most difficult uh, cycling event in the world where people will climb into the Pyrenees for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles climbing all day long. I mean, it's unbelievable what what they do. But these teams, cycling teams, um, typically there's a franchise player and the rest of the team has its goal to promote that franchise player, right? So, special thanks to our first responders. Thank you very much. Engine one, coursing its way down Locust Street. Uh, So, for instance, think back, I know this is not a popular example, but it's the only one I can think of right now. Um, Either Greg LeMond, which is fine, or Lance Armstrong, Armstrong, right? So, when he was with the United States Postal Service team, everybody on that team knew that they weren't going to win the Tour de France. Their part of the team was to promote Lance Armstrong to the front. He was the franchise player. He was, he was the Steph Curry. He was the LeBron James. 
he was the, um, you know, Albert Pujols. He was the guy in, in, in the front. So their, their job wasn't to compete against him or one another. Their job was to compete against every other cyclist in making sure that he was insulated and protected and was able to push to the front of the peloton and, and win, the, win the event, which he did, which of course now um, he didn't. But the teamwork still is an incredible uh, thing to watch. Now, in my world, when I'm here and part of the Morris Family Services and Haley McGinnis families, I get to be a part of a team, right? Which you know I love. When I'm at the clinic, I'm a lone ranger. I'm there by myself. I'm on my own. Thankfully, I have joy as a teammate and partner in that from a business perspective. And I do, you know, like to talk with her about that stuff. But in terms of just the clinical work, you know, I'm kind of on my own. Most communities, there are groups of people with whom you can consult and have uh, case consultations and talk about um, generic ideas of things that you're experiencing in various cases with clients and get some help, you know, with that. But typically that isn't, isn't the case with me here. So I know the difference between being a part of a team and being on one's own. And I have to say, it's it's a pretty powerful experience to be part of a team that's not competitive, it's not pride-based, it's literally people looking out and trying to make sure that everyone's doing the best they can, they have what they need to be able to do that. Why do people within a team, though, going back, want to be the shining star? Probably for reasons like you've described, on the, on the one hand, pride, uh, always wanting to be the best at what they do and, as, and, and wanting to... Um, to rise up. I, I remember once I had the privilege of being trained to think about climate change and uh, I was recruited to do so by someone who's not altogether popular. So I don't, you know, I, everybody needs to think what they think, but Al Gore was the one who was doing the recruiting. So I was there with 50 other pastors who spent a three-day weekend with Al Gore, who was training us to talk about climate change uh, as a result of a group um, of, uh, what's the, a group of people who are committed to training people to think about climate change. And this is what he did as a result of his uh, Nobel Peace Prize uh, with the money. So uh, I went to this woman, I saw there was this, this, this person who got up and was making presentations. They were the presenter to all the presenters. And I was like, how did that person get to do that? Of course, obviously I was like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And she said, the cream always rises to the top. Mm. So there was inherent in that culture, like we, all, we want everyone to do well. Naturally, some people are going to do better and we're going to find those people and those people are going to be put in leadership positions. So I can understand that there's always going to be those who kind of naturally emerge as leaders or as better at what they do than maybe what others are. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily anti the team or against the team or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, I don't think there's anything that, that a teamwork is not applied. Um, on, right. Honestly, uh, it takes a village. Raising mm-hmm. children, for instance, whether they have one or in our instance three, we, you know, bedtime, we need two people at our house. So we oft, oftentimes have two babysitters. Sounds weird, but there's a team involved. You yeah. have to have that. Absolutely. Um, being a leader and you on leadership here, it's not like we're going to make or can make all these decisions without consultation or or at least saying, "Hey, I did this. <laughs> Oops, or yeah. are we good?" Or you know, having some sort of uh, 
I, I think just having a, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think just having some sort of consult. Mm-hmm. I think consult is the word. Well, I, I tend to see my role on teams as being the encourager. I remember riding the pine in basketball. I got to play. In fact, riding the pine. I have not heard that in the longest time. Yeah, right. Dang. When uh, my school, Atlantic Shores Christian School in Virginia Beach, Virginia, uh, where I went to school, built a new gym. And uh, we were having to drive like 45 minutes to borrow someone else's gym. It was terrible. And we got our own gym. And uh, the first game, it was, a J, it was when I was JV. You broke your arm. No, I didn't. Uh, we, this was the first time that there had been a basketball game in the new gym. And several minutes passed and we hadn't scored. And for whatever reason, the coach looks at me and says, Carol, you know, get in there. So I rip off my tearaway warmups, you know, and I go sit underneath the scoring table until the buzzer and mm. I get waved in for sub. And I went in. For how, for, I don't know how it happened, but I got the ball. And then I don't know how this happened. I scored and then lo and behold, it went in. So I actually scored the first basket in the brand new gym. That's awesome. Nobody would have ever thought that I would do. But as a pine rider, as someone who, you know, sat on the bench a lot, I took on the role as encourager. I made sure that I was the loudest person on the bench, that I was cheering these guys on, that I knew exactly what was going on in the game at every moment in case I did get in, which did happen more and more as I got older, of course. And um I think there's like a trend here. I wanted to be an encourager. Yeah, that I never started. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. That is not at all what I mean. No, the trend of you being the encourager. (laughs) That was my role. And knowing everything that is going, like you have this ability. Still is my role to be an encourager. I just want to make sure everyone knows that they are uh, being thought of, considered, that they're being observed positively, that, you know, notice the things that are going on that you're doing well and to encourage them to continue pushing and challenging themselves. So there are a couple of pieces of a team that you have, I guess, the captain, which would also be like the Lance Armstrong, if you want to kind of put that yep. into perspective. Sure. Uh, you do have the encourager always. Yeah. I mean, I think that's important, like the hype man, like, right, right? like right. the hype guy. Right. What other role do you think is within? Well, there are those kind of, uh, well, if you think about a, a pawn. Yeah, we tend to think mm. of that negatively because, right. like, oh, you're a pawn in someone's game. To my game. scheme. Right. But a, a pawn is an important player in chess, right? It's the first line of defense. It's they go one or they go two. That's that's the direction they go. Unless they have an opportunity to capture, they go one diagonally. That's great. Every, they know their role, and it's really important that they play it well right? Everybody has in the family and everybody has on a team a role to play. In a family, that role is typically given to us by our parents who learn that probably from their parents. And that's what we mean when we talk about family systems and multi-generational transmission process, that the roles that we are assigned are handed down to us from an, an emotional way from multiple generations before us. We have, as adults, the decision to make, do we accept that role or do we not? And part of what growing up means and differentiating ourselves from other people in the family is deciding that, yeah, you know what? I don't want to play that role anymore. I don't want to be the responsible one. I don't want to be the black sheep. I don't want to be the one that everybody's worried is going to show up intoxicated or hot. I want to be someone different. I'm choosing another role. And when we do that, people tend to push back. Well, on a team, those roles are assigned to us too, but we typically adopt them and and we do so with 
uh, mutual agreement, you know, so we don't ever hire someone and say, here's the role you're going to play. Okay, great. And then the next day say, actually, you're not going to play that role. You're going to play this role. And they're like, but that's not what I was, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes that has to happen. You have to reallocate resources as things change, but you don't do that um, capriciously without thoughtfulness and consideration. We all have a role to play. So a captain also needs to be an encourager. The encourager might also be one of the best players. You have offense, you have defense. In a team, in a business model, you have those people who are doing in-house work, people who are doing management work, people who are doing kind of senior level work, and then you have people doing sales. So everybody has his and her role. It's just really important that you understand your role, that you accept it, that you have 100% buy-in, and that you communicate unequivocally and clearly, constantly with everyone around you, all of whom have different roles so that everybody knows what everyone else is doing. And I think it's great that everybody has an opportunity to do what everybody else does to the extent that you can. If you're um, a, a merchandiser and you have a delivery service, your salespeople should probably go out on a delivery run to see what it is because you can't yell at your delivery people for not getting this stuff out there in time if you don't know what it's like to be a delivery person and it's really hard to keep up with that kind of load. So you should go out on it and a delivery person should come in and be in the in the design room or in the production facility or on the line in the plant so that they understand, oh, that's what, okay, that makes more sense. That's a really good, that's a really good thing to have people do. Yeah. Good example there. You're talking about, you have something up on your phone. You said you're going to talk about something. Yeah, I wanted to just bring this up and let people kind of expose them to this idea of being a team, not only with the people with us, but if you're a content creator, if you are a YouTuber, uh, an influencer on social media, if you have a podcast, if you are a public speaker, also if you are, uh, you know, an executive, president, vice president, CEO, not just your team. But the people whom you serve, and in our case, listeners, mm-hmm. uh, you're, we're a team with them too. I don't think that a lot of people who are in front of microphones and cameras, like an anchor person at a local news station, I don't know how often they think of their viewers or their listeners as being on their team. So I want to introduce us to this idea. Uh, I don't remember, I think the last name is Kelly. Um, I can't remember the, the full name. I'll have to find that. But he has this concept of 1,000 true fans. And he wrote an article or an essay in 2008, and then it revisited it and revised it and included it in Tim Ferriss's book, Tool, Tools of Titans, which is, I know you have, mm-hmm. and I have, it's a, it's a great book. He says that the 1,000 true fans concept is useful to anyone making things or anyone making things happen. So that to be a successful creator, you don't need millions. Not everyone needs to be a Casey Neistat who has over 11 million YouTube followers with 2.5 plus billion downloads. I mean, this guy. That's insane. Not everyone's going to do that. Not everyone's going to be a Peter McKinnon. Not everyone's going to be a PewDiePie. Like we're not. There are a few of those. Most everyone else is dealing with a much smaller group of uh, of listeners, viewers, team members, right? You don't need millions of dollars, he argues. You don't need millions of customers. You don't need millions of clients, and you don't need millions of fans. To make a living, he argues, 
as a craftsperson, a photographer, a musician, a designer, an author, an animator, an entrepreneur, an inventor, any kind of content creator, all you need is 1,000 true fans. He says a true fan is someone who will participate with you in anything that you will produce. They will listen to anything you publish. They will watch anything you publish. They will buy anything that you make. 1,000 is all you need. They will drive 200 miles to see you sing. They'll buy the hardback as well as the audiobook or perhaps the Kindle edition. Uh, They'll purchase your next thing, sight unseen, because you have created a relationship. You have created a a team. They know that whatever is coming is going to be something like what has come before. And they loved what came before and they're going to love what's coming next. It will be different, but they will love it. And so they are willing to buy in at the very beginning before things have even come out. So we subscribe to YouTubers, not knowing if anything that happens after what we just saw is going to be any good, but we do it because we loved that. And we know that there's a good possibility that that is going to to be great too. So he says that we, you need two, you have to meet two criteria. You have to create enough every year that you can earn $100 profit from each fan, which is easier to do for some content creators and businesses than others, obviously, right? And then he says, you have to have a direct relationship with your fans. Now, this is intuitive to us, I think, because before I read this, we're like, we're serious when we say, go to anchor.fm forward slash you'll die trying and leave us a voice message like faux shizzle. It's going to appear in our podcast. Yes. We are going to respond to you. We have received emails from someone. We've responded on the podcast and we got another email back from that person who is continuing to want to engage so that we can continue that conversation. Mm-hmm. Got another email about from someone that we're going to be addressing soon. We mean it. It's not for us like gimmicky. It's not kitschy. We want to have a relationship with our listeners, right. all of them. We're not interested, obviously, in money because that's not what we're doing here. This is, you know, kind of a hobby thing for us. But we want people to say, we liked episode number 80. We've liked episodes one through 79, some more than others, of course. We're looking forward to numbers 81 through 422 because we believe in these guys. We know them. We know what they're doing, what they're coming. They are a part of our team. So all we really care about is having a true relationship where we are connected with our listeners and our listeners understand that they are part of this team. They feed us. We then give back. They send us an email. Hey, we'd love for you to talk about this. We give back. I I went on a run with a friend uh, the other day. Shout out to my uh, running friend, Michael. And uh, he said, hey, have you ever talked about this? And I was like, you know what? I haven't, but we will. And that's going to appear in an upcoming episode because we, we actually care. Mm-hmm. Somebody has suggested by email that we interview a couple who's gone through some suffering. A shout out to Charlie. We'll do that, right? We're responsive to that because we believe in our listeners, because they're our listeners in part because they have shared values with us, which is what makes the team work. Right. Well, that's awesome. I want to ask our listeners to here's your opportunity to actually send us a message at you'll die trying podcast at gmail.com. How many of you listen to us in the bathroom? I'm going to just leave it there, general speaking. How many of you listen to us in the bathroom? I can't wait to hear, for those of you who wish to admit it, 
because I sometimes get some of my best thinking done in the bathroom. Sure. I'll leave it at that. Uh, and I read articles and things like that. So leave us, write us a message at you'll die trying podcast at gmail.com if you're brave enough to tell us where you listen to us. That'd be great. We won't share your name. No, we will not. Well, I think we've shown that discretion yeah. before. Yeah, unless we've told them before. Yeah, yeah. true. So look up uh, Google Kelly. I can't remember his first name. Or last name. Kelly, I can't remember his first name or last name. True. <laughs> it's an interesting name. 1,000 true fans. Uh, Kevin Kelly. Uh, or look up or purchase uh, Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans, where he interviews uh, some phenomenal um, people and kind of uh, breaks the code of what makes them great at what they do. Kevin Kelly is is one of those people. 1,000 true fans. There's also a YouTube video about it. Check it out. Google Kelly. I can't remember his last name. You get uh, who's R. Kelly's wife and is Drea Kelly still married? Okay. So, so, uh, so Google Kevin Kelly. Okay. Kevin Kelly. 1,000 true fans. That is your secret. Teamwork makes the dream work. It is not just us. It is you. We love being a team with you. We love giving you what we do. Visit us at you'll die trying podcast yeah. at gmail.com or you'll die trying.com. Nathan, is our uh, Shopify store, is it is solid yet? It should be. Yeah. If you want to uh, pre order some delicious, incredible YDT coffee mugs so you can drink along to us in the morning, that we made ourselves in our new you'll die trying pottery studio. Yes. Which we've, Shown you a picture of before. That wasn't a picture of us, so that was actually a picture of Ghost. Have you seen the scene yet? Yes. <laughs> so I retract everything that I stated before. This is You'll Die Trying. I'm Jonathan Carroll. I'm Nathan Morris. Until next time. Bye.